Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. For this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We also have two earlier lessons, if I may read them. Uh, would you turn or put up Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning with verse 15. That text from 1 John is actually warning us about false prophets, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, but there are two other texts that I want you to hear that put it in context and enable us to hear what the scripture says about false prophets. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, this is Moses speaking, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they've spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him the word of the Lord. And then from the gospel according to Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus now is again teaching about false teachers and warning us about them. And so Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. If you ever wondered where the expression wolves in sheep's clothing comes from, it's from Jesus. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. The Gospel of Christ. And now, again, our text. I'm going to read it again in a minute to put it in that context. But for any of you who've not been with us in our study of 1 John, uh, John is the one book of the Bible written in order to give believers assurance of salvation. John tells us that in chapter 5, verse 13. He says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And he's given us three tests, three spiritual vital signs that we've seen him repeat and repeat, and we've been looking at them in our weeks together. One concerns our minds our way of thinking. And he says, it's, a, it's really a doctrinal vital sign, is the central truth around which your worldview is shaped. The teaching about Jesus Christ being God come in the flesh to us, truly God, truly human, and all that the Bible teaches us about him. That's the doctrinal test. But there's also a relational test. Is that belief making you now begin to love other people the way that Christ has loved you? Because you can believe that all those things that the Bible teaches are true. After all, Jesus' brother James says, hey, the demons believe and tremble. But is it transforming you? Is it saving you? Is it making you new so that you're relating to people in a whole new way? That's the second test. And then the third test is what may be called the ethical test. It is changing all of our behaviors. That love with which we've been loved is now transforming our behavior. And the way that John puts it in his chapter 5 summary is to say, this is really what it means to love God. We keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So we're not following the Lord out of a drudging sense of duty. But we now actually realize how much he loves us, and that the, the ways are ways of life. He's given us a path that leads to human flourishing, and not to follow it is folly. And those are the three marks, but twice in this letter, he stops with warnings about false teachers. We saw him do it once back in chapter 2, where he warned about antichrists coming who teach against the doctrine of Christ. And now here in chapter 4, as you just heard, and I want again to read it uh, in the light of those other two passages, so that you'll hear him rounding out the biblical teaching about how to know the difference between people who teach the truth and those who are teaching what is not true about the Christ. Uh, don't be put off by this word antichrist. It's, uh, there's almost a cottage industry of, uh, of writing about it and movies. And I mean, the reality is John is the only one who ever uses the word. 
He uses it three times, I think, in this, in this little letter we're looking at. He uses it once in the letter that follows in John chapter 2. And then it never appears again in the Bible. It, it is his way of simply stating that there is Christ and his people and his truth. And there is the spirit of antichrist that is all that goes against the teaching of Christ. He's, he uses it literally. What? You're either on Christ's side or you're antichrist. You're against him. So don't, don't see a boogeyman when you hear this. So verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You and I live in a chamber of noise. These people did too, which is why John was writing. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, had opened up world travel in a way that it had never been before. And so people from all different cultures, of all different religions and philosophies, would come and teachers were constantly coming in with new ideas, the latest thing, and were teaching and causing all kinds of trouble. For you and me, it's so much worse because we've got these dreadful little smartphones that have transformed our lives beyond anything that Stephen Jobs could have imagined. Um, I, I, I always was critical of my kids for being so dependent. And then I remember a couple of years ago going to a restaurant to meet a friend, and I went in, sat down. He wasn't there yet, so I reached my phone to check my email. I didn't have it. And I was like, Oh my goodness, what if he went to the wrong restaurant? How can I reach him? What if something happened and I couldn't? What's going on in the world? I mean, I'm sitting here. And I, I started looking around and I realized I used to love getting into restaurants a little early because I love to be a people watcher. And I kind of would like to wonder what they're doing, what they're doing. But it was the most boring thing in the world because everybody else in the restaurant was like this. Even people who were with somebody else they were i wondered if they were texting each other instead of speaking i mean we we are constantly surrounded and and we get in the car and we turn on the radio uh, we go home and we turn on the tv and messages are constantly being blasted at us and usually we're not even really aware of it we we just we don't realize that our lives are being shaped and molded by a soundtrack that other people have put together. And people we don't know and will never meet are shaping 
what we think and how we respond to things and how we see things in ways that, that we probably aren't even aware of. And so what I'd like to do is to encourage you to really get down this whole biblical context. This is why I wanted these two other texts. Uh, remember that scripture interprets scripture. And to, to understand any biblical teaching or truth, it's very helpful to put it in the context of the rest of what the Bible says on that topic, because otherwise you may get a, a sort of stunted view. Every heresy in the church is where somebody took one part of scripture and took it out of context and made it everything in a way that denied other scriptures. And so if we only had what John says here as a warning about false teachers, we could still fall for some pretty bad false teachers because John is assuming the rest of what the Bible has taught about false teachers, if that makes sense. So what I'd like for us to do first is simply to put this text in the context of Moses' words to the people of Israel that we read in Deuteronomy 18, and then of Jesus' words in his Sermon on the Mount, chapter, Matthew chapter 7. But I don't want to forget to make this point. Moses, Jesus, John, not a one of them is suggesting that we have nothing to learn from people who aren't believers. There is common grace. There are people who can teach us so much about history, about mathematics, about science, about uh, you name it. Uh, the, the doctor you most may need to treat you may be a total non-believer, but that's the one you want. I've always loved Luther's, Martin Luther's statement back in the days way before anesthesia. Uh, and, and Luther was asked, would you let a non-Christian operate on you? And Luther said, I'd much rather have a competent Muslim than an incompetent Christian. So I'm not for a moment suggesting that we shouldn't read books by or listen to or enjoy the art and the music and the, all the things that delight us. I'm just saying we always have to have our antennae up and especially when we begin talking about matters of the spirit. And so first of all, we need to hear Moses Moses said to the people of Israel, God has promised that there's going to be another one like me. There were many other prophets, but he said there'll be another great one like me. And of course, he was pointing to the Lord Jesus who would come and bring the word in fullness of power. So he said, don't listen to false prophets. Well, how are we to know them? He said, how do you know if a message from a prophet is not true? Okay, here it is. Don't ever forget. If somebody prophesies that something is going to happen and it doesn't happen, uh, don't believe them next time they tell you something's going to happen. Which is why it is a wonder to me that most TV preachers can still get any financing. If most of them lived back in the days of Israel, they would have been taken out in stone. Because you hear not among all, but from so many, you hear prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. The, back when we had news magazines, 
uh, they used to delight, some of them, in listing out the specific prophecies that Pat Robertson had made that didn't happen when he said they'd happened. Now, God bless Brother Pat, I'm not, but that's just, you don't listen to somebody like that when he's talking about spiritual things. He may be able to teach you many other things. But if someone, okay, this is my disclaimer. This is not a political statement and this has nothing to do with whether or not you think that the last election was rigged or not. What I wanna say is this, I was appalled at the number of evangelical leaders, including some whom I know, who said that the Lord had shown them that this was what was going to happen, so don't lose heart. It didn't happen. It still hasn't happened. Most of them admitted now that they were wrong. Well, I may listen to them about some things, but I'm sure not gonna listen to them if they wanna tell me anything that's gonna happen. Because the Bible says that is the mark, the first mark of a false prophet. Someone who tells you in God's name, not just someone who says, you know, I've been looking at things and I think this is gonna happen. We all do that and we're all usually wrong. At least I usually am. That's, that's why my retirement fund is doing what it's doing. Um, but that's another matter. Let's not talk about it. Now, now I'm depressed. <laughs> no, um, the future, that's what we're talking about. So don't listen to false prophets. Um, then Jesus adds to that. Jesus says there's another way to know who these false teachers are. He said if they don't bear kingdom fruit, godly fruit. Look at their lives. I mean, the guy may be the most eloquent preacher in the world, but if his wife can't stand him, that may be your first clue. Something's, something's not quite right here. All of us who preach are preaching beyond ourselves. And I mean, I, I, I saw a sign once on the back of a car and I thought I could fill in other words on that. It, it said, I want, to be, I want to be the kind of man my golden retriever thinks I am. And I thought, yes, and my congregations and my, my wife and my children. I mean, we all are teaching and preaching beyond our own experience. We're all in process. But that's different from a disconnect. Someone who gets up and preaches one way and then gets out of the pulpit and lives an entirely different way. Is simply, you want that same voice. You need that same voice to know that this person is speaking authentically out of an encounter with the Word of God by the power of the Spirit of God. And I'm seeing him trying to live up to it, or her, if, if it's a woman teaching. I, I wanna see a congruity of life. I even want to see a congruity of voice where the, the fruit there is even being... Okay, didn't plan on telling you this, but uh, congruity of voice. When I was a young preacher, you know, you go to a church back when I first went into ministry, graduated seminary in 1978, uh, I was expected to, to prepare and preach three sermons a week, three different sermons. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night for the prayer service. 
So I'm, and plus, see all the sick and, and do all the funerals and weddings and visit new people. And, and so I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a Welshman, and Eric Alexander, who is, who is a Scot. And they were fit to feed my soul. I knew those little cassettes, you know. Every day I was like, God, feed me, Lord. I've got to get something in. So, and I didn't realize what had happened to me. So I was asked to preach at the large church of a hero of mine. And I preached, and everybody was so sweet. And they came up afterward, you know, telling me how wonderful I was. I just ate it up. I loved it. We didn't have cell phones then. I went back to my study at the church, and the pastor, who was a hero of mine, called me up. And he said, I saw everybody going up and telling you how wonderful you were. Uh, and I'm quoting him now. These are his words. He said, while you were preaching, I wanted to puke. <laughs> How's that for encouraging a young pastor? <laughs> and I'm like, that got my blood up a little. I was, I tend to get mad before I get hurt. Um, but I thought, I need to listen. I said, why? He said, it wasn't what you said. I know your voice, I know you. That was not John Wood speaking. It wasn't the sermon, it was the voice. It wasn't real, it wasn't you, it wasn't the guy I sit with at lunch. It was one of the most valuable things anybody, he did love me enough to tell me. I went back, listened to a tape and I was horrified. I had this kind of mixture of a Scottish and a Welsh <laughs> and all of these sort of affectations that I was utterly unaware of, brothers and sisters, what they're saying is, it's got to come true, and it's got to be somebody who's real, you know? There's got to be congruity of life all the way down the line. So we come to our text, and John adds to that the fact that it has to do as well with two things. In the first verse, chapter 4, verse 1, he gives us the warning. He says, Beloved, don't believe every, everything you hear. Test the spirits because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then in verses 2 and 3, he tells us, first of all, we're to evaluate what we hear by the content. In verse 2, it's positive content. This is the truth that you should be hearing if this person is real. And then in verse 3, it's the negative. And you shouldn't be hearing this. If you're hearing this, this is not from the Spirit of God. Then in verses 4, 5, and 6, he shifts and tells us, you don't just look at the content of the message, which I would have thought was enough. But he said, note the people who are buying it. Note these three different groups when the message is landed, their response to it. So very quickly. First of all, and we it's just repeating what we've been studying every time on the doctrinal side. He says, the message is that Jesus Christ has come into the world. He has taken our flesh. It is the message of the incarnation. And if the incarnation is being denied, you do not have a message that is coming from the Lord. Now, again, I, I used to hesitate to say things like this for fear. I thank God for every faithful person who has managed before the Lord with integrity to remain in mainline denominations because God has people there and he wants faithful people ministering to them. 
Nevertheless, we have seen a collapse of the mainline denominations over the last, since the 70s, but most recently, and, and again, please, I'm trying to make a point, so don't get caught in, in, on the edges. My best friends, and I have a whole number of very close friends who managed for years to stay in the Episcopal Church and be faithful. God bless them, and they're still, God has his people there, and I thank God for them. But suddenly I began to have a whole number of friends a few years ago said, this is too much. They're now ordaining gays and, uh, and doing marriages, and that's the end. We cannot tolerate that. And all my evangelical friends were applauding and saying, good, standing up for biblical sexuality. But I sat down with some of them and said, okay, I want to know why that's what drove you out. And they were like, and I said, back in the 1970s, you had a, a bishop in charge of theology who denied the incarnation. Is the teaching of Christ of less importance than teaching on human sexuality? We may find the other gets our blood up more, but isn't that just an indication that we don't understand what the priority is of the doctrine of Christ? When I was in seminary, we were part of, it was called Boston Theological Institute. It was a consortium for all of the seminaries and you could cross uh, register for classes. So we would all do that. And there was one particular professor who was famous for his work on the book of Hebrews at Harvard Divinity. And so you'd sit and hear him expound Hebrews in ways that would make you want to weep. He'd speak, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation in him through him. I mean, he's just, you know, and then he would turn and say, but what that has to do with the man Jesus, who knows? You know? That's what he's talking about. And he was an ordained Presbyterian. Brothers and sisters, if you are not hearing the truth of Christ, flee from it if it's under the guise of spiritual teaching. Okay, that's the positive. It's got to be the message of Christ. And I already just gave an example of the second. He said, where that is denied, it's not of the Spirit of God. So Jesus has come in the flesh. He is fully God. He is fully human. And that is the central core of the faith. And then what he has done for us to redeem us. And he says, where that message is not taught, don't listen. But then he turns and says, this is another way to understand the message you're hearing. There are three groups. He first talks to the people he's writing to, and he calls them beloved. You know, he says, you, you didn't fall for these false teachers. They got you off track for a little bit, but you have now overcome them. Why have you overcome them? Because he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. If only I had listened to that, I could have saved 10 or 15 really bad years in my life. If only I had looked to those people who had walked with the Lord for a long time, people who were steeped in the scriptures, people who understood, but I wanted the latest thing. I wanted to be out there. I wanted to taste it and feel it and touch it and hold it. And so I ran from the truth like the prodigal. 
and woke up in the pigsty, except unlike the prodigal, I didn't have to find my way back home because in reality, the elder brother who told the parable had gone into the pigsty of the world in order to bring us back to the Father's house. If you are seeking, find people who know the Lord, people who are walking in a way that is congruent to what they teach, people of integrity and compassion and honesty to admit their own faults and struggles. Attach yourself to them because you will see by their reception or their rejection those things that are from God and those that aren't. The second group, again, is the negative, these false teachers. He says, take a look at what they're listening to, and you can know that that is not of God. Look, I, I hate, to, uh, hate to slam a, a guy on TV who's getting slammed now from progressives because they don't like humor, but uh, Bill, Bill Maher's been against the church for so long that uh, I can pretty well figure anybody that he's impressed with, I'm not. Anything that he holds fast to, I'm not going to because he hates the faith and, may, and is explicit about it. In other words, there may be people who are incredibly entertaining, but have your antennae out to realize when they start speaking about worldview, start speaking about truth, about things that matter, I'd better be extraordinarily sensitive because this is someone who despises the one whom I worship. And then the final is he just says, look at us. And if you look at those verses, you'll see it's clear, the three groups. In verse 4, he says you. In verse 5, he says they. And in verse 6, he says us, the apostles. He says, listen to us. Now that may sound arrogant, but these guys had been totally honest in their own telling of the story of Jesus, of what an obnoxious bunch they were. I mean, John, think about John. As Jesus was going to the cross, as Jesus was telling them over and over again that he was going to Jerusalem to give his life, they were arguing the whole way up the road over which of them would be greatest. They weren't listening. This John, John and his brother James, actually got their mother to go to Jesus and ask for seats of honor at his right and left hand. So these people had been totally honest about their own unbelief and rebellion and brokenness and all of the rest. And then they told how Christ had risen and found them and restored them and had ascended and poured out his spirit in power and how he'd taken a group of cowards and thrust them out into the world to turn it upside down. It's because of that that you and I are sitting here together today. Listen to them, young people. Being young and learning new things can be so enchanting and so much of it is good and right, but oh, I pray that you will have your spiritual antennae up when it comes to matter of truth and world view and the things especially of God. Well, that's it. 
we have three pictures in our three texts of how we are to discern false teachers. If they're prophesying stuff and it's not coming true, don't listen to them. Doesn't mean that they're not believers. I mean, they can repent of it and turn back. The great George Whitfield, Wesley's friend, who was the greatest and most eloquent preacher of the Great Awakening, God used him all over, had a little boy. And he prophesied publicly that God had told him that this little boy was going to grow up to be another great preacher like him. He believed it with all his heart. And the great American theologian and pastor, Jonathan Edwards, who thought the world of Whitfield, warned him and said, brother, don't mistake strong impressions for God speaking to you. And it caused a breach for a while between them because Whitfield was offended. But when his son died in childhood in a carriage accident, he said, if only I had listened to Brother Edwards and repented of it. They speak the truth. They walk it out. Look at the fruit of their lives and listen to what they say. Are they declaring the biblical view of Christ? Father, help us not to be deceived. We live in a world, not only a world of deceivers, but a world of the greatest capacity in history to have means of getting to us and getting into our heads when we're not even paying attention. Grant us the discernment in what we watch, in our entertainments, in what we read and listen to and do, to ask ourselves always, is this of God or is it against his Christ? And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.